0: Genesis chapter number 7. Genesis chapter number 7. I'd like to begin reading in verse number 6. We're going to read down to verse 10, and then we're going to skip a few and read from verse 17 to 22. The Bible says, And Noah was six hundred years old when the flood of waters was upon the earth. Noah went in and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him into the ark because of the waters of the flood of clean beasts and of beasts that are not clean, and of fowls and of everything that creepeth upon the earth. There went in two and two unto Noah into the ark, the male and the female, as God had commanded Noah. Pay extra close attention to verse 10. And it came to pass after seven days that the waters of the flood were upon the earth. Look down at verse number 17. And the flood was forty days upon the earth, Notice this, and all flesh died that moved upon the earth, both of fowl and of cattle and of beast and of every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth, and every man, all in whose nostrils was the breath of life, of all that was in the dry land died. I want to read just an ensemble of those again very quickly. Verse 10 says, And it came to pass after seven days that the waters of the flood were upon the earth. it says in verse 21, And all flesh died. And it says uh, also in that passage that every man also died as well. Now, I want you to pay close attention to that and turn with me to John chapter number 10. I want to read one verse from John chapter number 10, and then we will begin, or three verses, excuse me. John chapter 10 Uh, tells us in verse number 7, Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved, and shall go in and out, and find pasture. Pray with me this morning. Heavenly Father, I'd ask that Your blessing would be upon Your Word. Lord, I don't have the ability to preach, or to stand, or to say anything worthwhile in and of myself, but God, I know that You can enable me, and empower me, and anoint me, Lord. And so I ask You to do that this morning, Lord, that You do a work, amongst Your people that would bring You glory and honor. If there's one amongst us that is not saved, Lord, You and You alone know the human heart. I pray that You would convict them of their lost state and show them their need of You. Father, we love You because You first loved us, Lord, with a love to the uttermost and with a love unspeakable and full of glory, Lord. We thank You for loving us. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. We've read these passages and you'll find one thing to be in common about both of them, that they both deal with a door. Now Christ told us that He's the door of the sheepfold. That the only way to salvation is to go through that door. There's no other way to be saved. Religion cannot save you. Uh, True religion and undefiled, the Bible speaks of in the book of James, and it's a good thing. But that's the only time the word religion is used in a good connotation, in all the Word of God. i tell you what religion does. Religion cleans men up before it sends them to hell. That's what religion does. It does not save a man from his sins, neither does baptism, church membership, good works, love for your family, on and on we could go. The Bible clearly teaches that the only way to heaven is through the door of that. Sheepfold. Now, I'm thankful that that door is not closed to you and I, but we can accept Christ as our Savior. And I've done so as a 10-year-old boy, and many of us would give testimonies of uh, our salvation experiences. And I'm here to tell you today that if you don't know the Lord, you can enter that door today as well. God's willing to save you. But typically, if you're entering into a room and into a door... There's one thing that must be done before you're going to be given passage into that door. Now, you say, preacher, you're talking about a work salvation. No, I'm not talking about a password. I'm not talking about a uh, bunch of hoops that you have to jump through. I'm saying usually before you go through a door, there's one thing that you're going to do first. You're going to knock. The Bible tells us concerning prayer, ask and it shall be given unto you, knock and it shall be opened unto you. Isn't it funny that in all the illustrations given of salvation, uh, I believe there's none so simple as just merely knocking. The Bible tells us we're to look unto the Lord. The Bible tells us uh, that uh, we're to partake of our Lord. He's the bread from heaven. He's the water of life. And there's a lot of illustrations. But you very rarely hear people talk about the knocking on the door. Uh, But here in this passage and a few others, I want us to talk about just a simple knock. What does it mean to knock on a door? And I want to give you a few things by way of introduction. You know, I got to thinking about it. and A sermon always is a lot better if the preacher will think about it a little. Amen? And I tried to think about it a little. And I thought, what does a knock really mean? Uh, We all, I'm sure, we have people come to our doors and knock on our doors. But there's a few things that a knock is going to imply to you. I would say, first off, that when a person knocks on a door, they're implying that their present position is insufficient. You see, you don't knock on a door except you're wanting to get from where you are to where they are. Can I tell you that before a sinner ever gets saved, they have to first recognize that they are a sinner and on their way to hell? Uh, A person will never seek the Savior until they realize they're a sinner. Because, you see, why would they need a Savior if they're not a sinner? A sinner must recognize that he is a sinner and that his present position is insufficient. We've heard this many times. We've heard people say, that person doesn't have sense enough to get in out of the rain. How many of you have heard that before? I've heard that in my life. But can I tell you, there's people today uh, that they're not trying to get in out of the rain falling from heaven, but they need to get in out of the rain of God's judgment, but they just don't have sense enough to get in out of the rain. When you knock on the door, you're saying where I'm at is not good enough. I've got to get somewhere else. And until a sinner recognizes that his state that he's in... You know, the Bible doesn't teach that we're going to get to heaven and have all of our good works weighed against our bad works. I know that's what the funny papers teach. I know that's what theology of today teaches. But the Bible never once says that your salvation is merited upon your own ability or your good works. If you think you're going to get to heaven and old Saint Peter, because we think he's going to be standing at the gates, Uh, because it needs a gatekeeper, amen? Why would heaven need a gatekeeper? Does that make sense to you? It don't to me, but... Uh, we think we're going to get there, and old Saint Peter's going to uh, get us in there and walk us around, tell us a few lawyer and Baptist jokes, and then he's going to take us to a big old scale that's going to be standing up, and God's going to pile our good works and our bad works on either side. And if the good works outweigh the bad works, well, then we have uh, entrance into heaven. And if the good works don't outweigh the bad works, then we're either going to go to hell or go to a purgatory, a limbo state where someone must pray us out of that situation. Can I tell you that those doctrines are straight out of hell? The Bible tells us in John chapter 3 that the condemnation of God abides already upon the sinner. You say, I'm waiting to find out. No, if you've never been saved, you've been found out already. You're under condemnation. You need not wait until judgment has passed. Judgment has already been passed. It's just not been executed yet. And there's a way out. The Bible teaches uh, that you're under condemnation already, and a sinner must recognize that, that I'm lost, I'm undone. If I stay in this situation, I'm headed to a devil's hell. I cannot save myself. But I'm thankful a knock doesn't just tell us that our position is insufficient, but it tells us that there's power behind that door to open it. (laughs) When you knock on a door, you're assuming someone is on the other side. And you're assuming that they can open that door for you. Most of us have locks on our doors. I don't know. Maybe you live in Mayberry, neighbor. I don't. I live in a in a, in a nice part of town. I'm thankful for my uh, place that the Lord's given me. But I still lock my doors at night. And if somebody comes and knocks on my door, I'm going to have to unlock and open that door for them. There has to be power to open that door. Can I make you a solemn promise? Can I make you a promise that you knock on salvation's door, there's power to open it for you. The Bible teaches that Christ has abolished or has destroyed death. He's not quite abolished it yet. He's not quite cast it out yet. It's the last enemy to be defeated. But Christ has already conquered death. The devil can't make you die and go to hell. The devil can't send you to hell. You have to make that choice. But Christ has already made a way for you to be saved. When He died on Calvary, He took every obstacle out of the way for you knowing Jesus Christ as your Savior. Everything but your own stinking pride, that's the only Only thing that He left. And you know, friend, if you'll knock on that door, you'll find He has power to open it. He has power to give you joy. He has power to give you happiness. He has power to give you peace. He has power to break you from them sins. He has power to wash you clean. He has power to give you life that's worth living and breathing every single day. There's power behind that door to open it for you. But it implies a third thing. I've not started preaching yet. Just hang on. It implies a third thing. It implies that the presence of the person behind it is where you want to be. You see, when you knock, you're trying to get into that door. But most of the time, when you knock on a door, you're trying to get in to see the person that's on the other side. You want to dwell with them. You want to spend time with them. You've come for them. Uh, Most of the time, unless it was just a weary journeyer, a weary traveler that uh, tried to get in out of inclement weather, most of the time when a person knocks on your door and they're trying to get in your house, they're trying to get in there to get to you, to, to be around you, to spend time with you. Can I tell you that a sinner, if they're ever going to be saved, they have to recognize that salvation is in a person, not in anything else. Have to recognize that it's not about following a creed. It's not about being a good person. It's not about joining a church. Salvation. Listen to me. The gospel is not just a historical fact. The gospel is an introduction to the person of Jesus Christ. It is not a historical narrative alone. Uh, The gospel is not about believing a, a certain creed or identifying yourself as a Christian. The gospel is not about accepting a code of conduct. The Bible is not. The gospel is not about joining the church. The gospel is. It's about meeting the Christ, the Son of the living God, the living Savior. He's risen and He's powerful to save. So we see a knock in many ways is fitting that it would bespeak of salvation. But I want us to look at three knocks in the Word of God. And just very quickly, I'm going to try not to take much of your time. We've read of the uh, making of the ark. We've read of the uh, water coming in and the rain falling and the fountains of the deep being broken up. And I'd say there's scarcely a person in this room that hasn't heard this story in their life of Noah's ark. But there's an interesting fact that most people look over. We know the Bible says that Noah was a preacher of righteousness for years and years and years as he built this ark. He proclaimed the imminent judgment of God and the grace that he had found in the Lord's eyes. He preached that men should turn from their sins, that they should turn to God, that they should turn from idols and turn to the living God. He had preached and preached and preached. And you know, his preaching just fell on a deaf ear. No one listened. Noah won his family, but that was the only people That Noah won. But you know, God doesn't bluff anyone. God says what He means. God means what He says. The reason God had Noah to preach righteousness to these men was because He was giving these people, living at this time, contemporary of Noah, giving them an opportunity to turn and to seek salvation. They had an opportunity. Now, God in His sovereign foreknowledge understood. And by the way, I did not say He predetermined. I just said He foreknew, and there's a difference, amen? God foreknows everything, but He doesn't predetermine men to heaven or hell. He gives man the free will choice. Uh, he knows who's going to be saved. He knows who's not going to be saved, just like He knows who, what you're going for breakfast tomorrow morning. But He does not make any man choose salvation. He does not make any man choose hell. We have free will, and oh boy, I'm thankful that whosoever will can come unto the Savior. But God in His sovereign knowledge understood that those men were going to reject the preaching of Noah, but He gave them opportunity to accept it. He gave them opportunity to turn from their wickedness. I want to say a word very quickly, though, about the hand that never knocked. We read in this passage that there was a seven-day period from when the ark was completed, when Noah and his family went in, until the rain waters began to fall. Boy, and it's sad that salvation sat there plain in front of all of them. But they wouldn't so much as knock. You know, it's sad, it's tragic, it's heartbreaking. And it's easy to read the Word of God and think, what's the matter with those people? How could they not turn to the Lord? But can I tell you that we live in a day, there's some hands that will never knock on the door of Christ's salvation. They'll never turn to God. They refuse to see their need of Him. And they refuse to call upon His name. I may be being presumptuous here, church, but but I'd say you have family members that have never knocked, and it could be will never knock. I've known people that would never knock on that door. That's all it would have took. All it would have took was recognizing their insufficiency, the power of God to save them, and the desire of His presence turning from their sins, repenting of their sins, and turning towards the Savior. That's all it would have took. But they wouldn't so much as knock. They wouldn't so much as turn. It's tragic. It's heartbreaking. When we think of how God views things, it's almost overwhelming. The love that God has for the sinner and yet the obstinance that the sinner displays when he will not turn to the Lord. I believe there's a few reasons that they didn't knock on the door of that ark. I believe there's a few reasons that they did not go in unto, Mo, or unto Noah. I believe these are some of the reasons that people are not... Uh, knocking on the door of salvation today. I believe it's because first off, they perceive it as a ridiculous thing. Don't you know that people probably scoffed at Noah? Don't you don't you know that they just made fun of Noah? Don't you know they probably said, What's old crazy Noah doing building that big old boat? Why would we need a boat? Isn't he silly? Isn't he listen to me? Isn't he a fanatic? You ever been called that before? I have. Thank the Lord I have. I want to be called a fanatic. Now, I understand what people mean by it. They mean a negative connotation. And, you know, they look at you, they say, you're just a nut. Yeah, I'm screwed onto the right bolt, though. Amen? The truth of the matter is this. Some people will never turn to Christ because they think that religion or spirituality is a ridiculous thing. They think it's ridiculous. Hey, look at it, and they say, well, how could it be that God would send His Son... To die for me. I don't understand that. I don't understand it either, but I believe it. Hey, say, how could it be that me, I'm a good person. I'm moral. You know, I've been to church. I've been baptized. I have all this morality. Surely God wouldn't send me to hell. That's just ridiculous. I don't care how holy you are. You're not holier than Him. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You say, well, I'm better than Him. You may be but you're not as good as Him. You may say, I'm better than she is, and maybe you are, but you're not as good as He is. It may seem ridiculous to you to believe that you're a sinner on your way to hell, but you have two options in this life. You can either believe God's Word or deny God's Word. Those are your only two options. And if you believe God's Word, you must believe what it says about you and about me, and it says that we all are worthy and deserving of hell, and we all need Christ's salvation. Deny it if you will. Call it ridiculous if you will. But there came a day when the water began to fall. I think they probably didn't knock because of the ridiculousness of what Noah was saying. But I think they probably didn't knock because of the rarity of what Noah was saying as well. Noah was saying one of these days it's going to begin to rain. Now you can believe what you wish about this. I am not a scientist even in the least little bit. But I believe as I study the Word of God, I believe that there was a canopy of water. I believe it it, it consisted over the earth. I believe that's part of the reason that people lived for the great lengths of time that they did. I believe it was an oxygen-rich environment. And the Bible tells us explicitly that before this time, it had never rained before. Uh, The uh, foliage, uh, the plant life was watered from the dew that came up from the ground. But there had never been rain before. And now here comes this old note coming along saying it's going to rain. They probably said, what does rain even mean? What do you mean water is going to fall from the sky? That's never happened before. Let me tell you something. There's a lot of people today that say, uh, (laughs) the Bible said there'd be scoffers in the last day. The Bible says that they would say uh, that it's been many years since the prophecy uh, of His coming. Uh, that it's been many years that they've been saying that the Lord is coming back. They've been telling us the judgment of God was coming for many, many years. Why should we believe it? That attitude pervades and is prevalent in the society of today. It's never happened before, so why should I believe it? By the way, the Big Bang, and I know the Big Bang never happened at all, except, you know, you've seen the bumper stickers. God said it, bang, it happened. uh, I I know that the Big Bang never happened, but they want to believe uh, in something that has never happened since then, but they don't want to believe in something that hasn't happened and they can't prove it's never happened before. You see, the truth of the matter is the lost don't want to accept Christ because they don't believe that God is really going to judge them. They don't believe the Lord's really going to come back. And let me, let me say something that may just ruffle a few feathers. Most saved people don't believe He's going to come back either. They may say they believe it, but if they really did, they'd live differently. I believe that they looked at it and they said, Noah, that's never happened before, so it's never going to happen. And I'd be right in telling you that the Lord never is going to destroy the earth with water again. He made a promise to Noah and he put a rainbow in the clouds. meaning mean, you see it if the light is just right after a fresh storm, we can see that rainbow. You know, God's never going to destroy the earth with water again. But the Bible says that uh, the day of the Lord shall come is a thief in the night in which the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Say, Preacher, you believe in global warming? I sure do. I just believe it's going to get a lot hotter than they do. Amen? I believe it's going to heat up one of these days. I believe the earth is going to be destroyed by fire. And the Bible teaches explicitly that it will be so. I believe they didn't believe it because of the rarity. They said it's never happened before, so it can't happen. But I believe there is one ultimate reason that that hand never knocked. I believe it never knocked because of the requirements that would have been needed. We live in a day where repentance is not preached in connection with salvation. But can I tell you that repentance in the Word of God is always connected with salvation. You say, oh, preacher, that's just saying repentance uh, just from ourselves, not from our sins. And I understand what's meant by that. You're not going to confess every single sin when you get saved. But let me tell you something. Any sinner that comes to Christ and does not anticipate giving themselves to Him, they've not come to be saved. They've come to be saved from hell, but they've not come to be saved from their sins. Repentance means a change of mind, a change of direction, turning from who you are, what you are, and what you're doing, and turning to the Savior. And let me tell you something, people that really, truly get born again, it's because they turn from themselves to God. That's what happens. We find in this passage uh, that they just didn't want to give up what they were doing. And I hate to say it, but there's a lot of people that are going to die and go to hell Because they don't want to give up the things that they do in their life. Uh, You say, preacher, are you saying we have to be perfect to be saved? No, I'm saying you've got to be saved to be perfect in Him. You say, preacher, are you saying that I have to uh, uh, begin to hate sin before I can get saved? No, I'm saying you get saved and you'll start to hate sin. You turn away from those things and you turn to God. The Bible teaches this truth explicitly. But we see another hand, and I like this. Turn to Revelation chapter number 3. Revelation chapter number 3. We see that there was a hand that never knocked. But I'm thankful that there's a hand that always knocks. Uh, Revelation chapter number 3. Now, I know that some of you are going to immediately think, oh, this, this passage deals only with the church of Laodicea, or this passage is... Purely prophetical. And I understand that it has a prophetic significance. I understand that there is much to learn for the church to learn today. But the truths found in this verse, I believe, apply to the heart and life of the sinner as well. And you'll understand what I mean as I say a few words about that. Look with me. Revelation chapter number uh, 3, verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him. And we'll sup with him and he with me. I understand that the Lord is knocking on the door trying to get into the church of Laodicea. And let me say, there's a lot of churches today that the Lord hadn't been in them for years. And they haven't even missed him. But there's some truths here. And I want to say a few words about them. And I want to try to be clear. Because I believe this this situation and this topic needs a little clearing up. I just had a discussion with a preacher the other day about this issue. And it was this, can a person get saved? Now, I don't want you to answer in the affirmative or negative. I want you to hear what I say first. This question, can a person get saved any time they want to? I've heard that many, many times. And I'm going to give you an answer that I think is scriptural. The Bible says that no man, Christ said, no man can come unto the Father, come unto me except my Father draw him. That's speaking of the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. But let me give you another verse. He said, come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. He said, if any man come unto me, I will in no wise cast them out. So what are we looking at here? We're looking at one verse says we cannot come to the Savior unless we're convicted. In another verse, the Savior says, if you come to me, I'll not cast you out. What if a sinner wants to be saved, but there's no great emotional show of weeping or shouting? What does that mean? Let me give you a clear answer. When I was a 10-year-old boy, I didn't know I needed to be saved, much less want to be saved, until the Lord showed me. A sinner that truly wants to be saved only wants to be saved because God has convicted him and showed him his need of Christ's salvation. Now you say, preacher, what about someone that comes to the Savior and wants to be saved but they're not under conviction? Find me one and then we'll figure it out. Amen? I've not met one. Now I've met some little kids that got walked through a prayer at vacation Bible school or in a children's church or in a youth campaign before and they didn't want to go to hell but they didn't want to be saved from their sins. They wanted to be saved from hell but they didn't understand they were a sinner. I've found a few of those. And I've found some people that wanted to save you that get them out of debt, but not get them out of hell and save them from their sins. I've met a few of those. But anybody I've ever met that has understood their need as a sinner and come to the Savior for salvation, it's only because God has dealt in their heart first. And you say, oh, but preacher, but preacher, but preacher. Let's just lay it out there. A sinner won't want to be saved until the Lord shows him his need. And so a sinner won't come to the Lord to be saved. It's unnatural. Hey, let me ask you this. Is salvation a spiritual thing? The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. I knew I needed to be saved because God told me that I needed to be saved. And that's the only way I knew that I needed to be saved. By the same token, conviction is not necessarily evidenced by an outward show either. There's plenty of people under conviction. You know, we we don't read of David weeping and crying. We read of Him changing His actions. We can go all through the Word of God. It's not always about whether you're weeping or crying. It's not about whether you're running down an aisle or walking down an aisle. What it's about is that the Spirit of God has convicted, and let me use this word, convinced you of your need of Christ. But I'm thankful that that hand is always knocking. Always knocking. God's willing to save you anytime you're willing to be saved. You say, oh, I thought I had to be under conviction. You're not going to be willing to be saved until you are under conviction. You know you need to be saved and want to be. It's because God's dealing with you in that hand. She's a knocking. We see the hand that always knocks. There's a few things implied in this passage. I'm just going to give them to you very quick. I'm not going to keep you very long in this. But I want to say that it's a powerful knock. It's a knock that's able to open the door. Let me tell you something. When Christ knocks on your heart's door, He's doing it because He can save you. And He can save any that come unto Him. But I think sometimes there's a fear in the heart of sinners saying, could God really save me? Could God really save me? Could He really free me from these addictions that I've got? Could He really give me a love for my family? Could God really wash my sins away? He wouldn't be knocking if He couldn't. He can, He can save you from your sins. He can wash you white as snow. The blood will never lose its power. It's a powerful knock. But I want to say it's not only a powerful knock, it's a perpetual knock. I'm careful in saying this. Because I, I I believe there comes a time... I, I do believe you can turn God away one too many, and I believe the Holy Spirit. I believe you can come to a place where the Spirit of God quits working with you because you've chosen for Him not to work with you. You can, you can believe that or not if you want, but, but I believe that. And I'm not saying that uh, the Spirit of God will always strive with man. That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm merely saying this. When I say it's a perpetual knock, I'm saying if he was knocking a week ago, He's still knocking today. I'm saying if He was knocking five years ago, and He deals with your heart, and you want to come to the Savior, He's still knocking today. It's not too late yet. If you have a desire to be saved, truly born again, He'll save you today. I like this. The Bible says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man, any man, hear my voice. And open the door. I will come into him. will sup with him and he with me. It's a panoramic knock. (laughs) You know what panoramic is? That's when you have got the whole picture. I'm thankful that God can save anybody. I'm thankful that salvation is not a special elite club excluded by God's providence. But I'm thankful that the Lord is willing to save any that come unto him. He said, if any man will open the door. I'll come into Him. If any man will hear my voice, if any man will turn to me. You say, preacher, I thought you said you had to be under conviction. If you want to be saved, it's because the Lord's dealing with you. And I'm trying to tell you this. It doesn't matter the color of your skin, the tax bracket that you're in. It doesn't matter the good works you've done or the bad works you've done. We've got a Savior that loves you and wants to save you. The cross is the great equalizer of life. It doesn't matter who it is. God's willing to save you. Only thing that's needed is that you answer that knock. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 25, and I'm going to say a few words in hush. Matthew chapter 25, we're going to begin reading in verse number one and read just a few verses. The Bible says, Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were wise, and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you. But go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgin, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not." We see the hand that never knocked. We see the hand that always knocks. But we see the hands that knocked too late. There's a lot of dispensational discussion about this passage. All of the Olivet Discourse has a lot of dispensational discussion. And there's typically two views about what this passage means. Some believe it to mean the Jewish remnant during the time of the tribulation period in preparation for the coming of our Lord in power and in glory. I understand why that view is taken. I wouldn't break fellowship with somebody over that view. I'm of the opposite opinion. I believe this is dealing with believers, the professing church. That's why there's five foolish and five wise. Now you say, why is it that you take that view? Because the Jewish remnant is described in chapter number 24 of Matthew as going and preaching the gospel of the kingdom to say that even the five wise virgins were slumbering and sleeping while the bridegroom tarried. If that's in relation to the coming of our Lord in power and in glory. I don't think we could say that that Jewish remnant during the tribulation period is going to be slumbering and sleeping. In fact, the Bible says at that time that the gospel will be preached unto all nations of the earth. Now, we can fight about that later if you want to. I've got a few minutes after the service. But uh, I, I take the view that this is dealing with the profess- professing church. And I, I believe that in many times the kingdom of heaven is referenced to that kingdom coming of Christ that's coming. Uh, the king's in heaven right now. But one day there's going to be a literal and earthly kingdom. I believe it's talking about professing Christianity. And you don't have to believe that. But as we read this passage, there's a few things I'm struck by, and I believe no matter what your interpretation of that passage, these truths will be true, none the same. In this parable that's given to us, the bridegroom is coming, but he's tarrying. In that time, all ten of these virgins uh, slumber and sleep. They all ten have lamps. They all ten had their lamps lit at one time, but only five of them had the oil. The other five, now you say, well, preacher, uh, how could the other ones light it if they didn't have the oil? Well, you can light the wick, but it's not going to continue to burn. You say, preacher, what's the story here? Uh, The bridegroom comes and they're all awakened. And the five that had the oil went out and headed out, following the bridegroom into the marriage. The five that were foolish, they woke up and they realized that though they had the lamp, they had the wick, they had the garment. They had no oil. So they go to those that are with them and they say, you've got to give us some of your oil. We've got to have oil. And they say, let me put it in just plain hillbilly language. If I give you some, I ain't going to have enough for me. (laughs) But you know what the real truth in that is? Is this. If you haven't got the oil for yourself, you can't get it from nobody else. You've got to have the oil yourself. And so the bridegroom goes into the marriage and those terrifying words. And the door was shut. They came. They began to knock. It doesn't say that, but we could imply it, I think. Began to knock. Lord, Lord, open to us. I said, verily I say unto you, I never knew you. Let me tell you something. I hate to say this, but I believe it's true. And I, I can't do anything but tell you the truth or I dishonor the Lord. I believe there's some people in this world that are going to die and go to hell, that have every intention of getting saved one day. The Bible teaches at the Lord's return, the bridegroom... Oh boy, I like that. Behold, the bridegroom cometh. And he is coming. He is coming. When that door is shut, you say, Preacher, do you believe people are going to be saved in the tribulation period? That's a pretty long discussion. I, I tend to believe that there will be some, but I, I do believe that those that have heard and rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ will not be saved. The Bible teaches that the Lord will send a strong delusion lest they should be obedient and believe the truth of the gospel that was given unto them. But in this passage, there's three chilling things that I want to say a word about. Very quickly, I want to look at the expectation of these five virgins. When the bridegroom came, they got up like they was going like everybody else. You know why? They thought that they were going with Him. Not everybody that says they're going to heaven is going to go to heaven. And not everybody that thinks they're going to heaven is going to go to heaven. Let me tell you something. It's going to amaze us when we get to heaven, the people that are there and the people that aren't there. But when the Lord returns... I believe one of the greatest horrors is going to be people that thought they were saved that wake up to find that they have missed the rapture. You say, preacher, can I not know if I'm saved? Oh yeah, you know that you know that you know that you're saved. You say, but preacher, there was a time when I prayed a prayer and there may have been. You say, but preacher, uh, the preacher back then told me I was saved and maybe he did. What's the difference? Five of them had oil. The other five didn't. What's the oil? Oil in the Word of God is a picture of the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you who those are that know the Lord. Those who have been born of His Spirit. You say, preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying if you can do wrong and not be convicted, you're lost. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying if the Holy Spirit does not convict you of your wrongdoing, you're as lost as a ball in high weeds. I'm not saying you can't do wrong. I'm saying you can't do wrong and not know it's wrong. The Bible says that His Spirit beareth witness with our spirit. He has been sent into the world to reprove us of sin and convict us and show us what is truth. And I'm saying if you can do wrong and it don't bother you, there's something wrong in your heart and life. It's about who has the oil and who doesn't. You say... You say, but I've got a lamp. My word, lamp under my feet and a light under my path. Maybe you do. You say, sometimes it's lit. Maybe there's some things you understand about the Bible. But if there's no oil in the vessel, if the Spirit of God doesn't live within you, you don't know the Lord. I'll tell you what we've got today in our churches. and I'm not saying this necessarily about Walridge. I don't know anybody's heart's condition. But I believe that in our churches we're full of lost people. I believe our churches today in general are full of people that have a profession but no possession of the Savior. And you say, what's the difference? The oil's the difference. The Spirit of God lives within them. Leads them and guides them and shows them their needs in their life. They expected to go. And there's people that think they're saved and are expecting to go to heaven that are as lost and their heart is as black as the charred walls of hell. But they think because their names on church roll, they're going to go to heaven. That's not going to get it. You've got to have the old. We see their exclamation, "Lord, Lord, open to us!" They cried unto him, but it was too late. They called upon him, but it was too late. I do believe that you can wait too long. I do believe when the Lord returns, if you have rejected Christ, I believe the Bible teaches clearly that you won't be able to call on His name. You say, why? That's harsh. Why would the Lord warn us so many times to watch for His coming, to be ready, to be prepared, if all it was going to mean was seven years of tribulation? That doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? Now, I believe there's a heavier price to pay. Their exclamation was, Lord, Lord, open to us. Notice they called Him Lord. You say, I'm a good person. The Bible says that there's going to be some in that day that are going to call to the Lord. And uh, He's going to say, depart from Me. I never knew you. And they're going to say, but Lord, we cast out devils in Thy name. We preached in Thy name. We raised the dead in Thy name. You know what they're going to start doing? They're going to start saying, Lord, look at all these works we've done. He's going to say, yeah, let's look at your works. I never knew you. Depart from Me, ye workers of iniquity. Let me tell you something, a person can live with sin in their life and it doesn't bother them. It's because they don't have the Spirit of God within them. Now, I try to be careful in saying these things. My job is not to make anybody doubt their salvation. That's God's job if He chooses to do so. And I'm not trying to get up here and scare you. But I don't believe I'd be honest with you and I don't believe I'd be loving you like a pastor ought to love his people if I did not tell you that the Bible teaches that just because you think you're saved does not mean you're saved. I'm not saying you can't know. I'm saying if you don't know, you need to know. That's what I'm saying. We see the exclusion. He shut the door. He said, I never knew you. I never knew you. There was no relationship. Let me tell you something, church. You can get religion all you want, but until you have a relationship, you don't know the Lord. That's why it's important that you recognize He's living. You're not going to have a relationship with a dead person. He's got to be alive. That hand knocked but it just knocked too late. I don't want anybody in this room to knock too late.